in time where Jesus encountered everybody after Easter. If you remember, they didn't get like a text that said, breaking news, Jesus is risen. It was kind of through conversation and encounters with Jesus. And so since Easter, we've been looking at these encounters with a risen Jesus and how different it is to encounter Jesus in any form, but to encounter Jesus once he has conquered death. And that's what we've been talking about. We're going to be in Acts 1 today. If, if you want to open your device or your Bible up, we're going to just look at three different verses. And we're actually going to look at these three verses today and next week. Uh, Reverend Rob's going to be talking about the beginning of the text next week. And I'm going to do the, the later part today. And then there'll be one more week in this, in this series as, as we've been going through Eastertide. So I want to read these verses for us. Acts 1, 6 through 8 is where we are. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This, this very beginning, it is, is this the time when, that's what Reverend Rob's going to be looking at next week, and God's timing, and how we're to deal with that. That's what a lot of our questions are, right? Is the time in which God does things, and, and we're going to see what it's like for these disciples with their expectant hope to meet the risen Jesus and, and what God has to say about that. But we're going to talk about the rest of it today. And if you look at it closely, this is, you might think this is a question of restoring a kingdom of Israel, right? I mean, that's what they say. Is this a time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And you may think, okay, is, that sounds a little like what we would call today nationalistic. Restore is bring back the kingdom of Israel. Is this a national, nationalistic question? And in reality, yes. Yeah. The disciples are coming from their worldview, and they're coming with a question that we would now say is, is a nationalistic question. Is this the time where you will restore the kingdom of Israel? The scholar Willie James Jennings kind of reworks this question into one that we might understand a little more clearly. And he says this, it's on the screen. When will we rule our land and become self-determining and if need be, impose our will on others? That's what's really being asked. Right now, they're not ruling their land. God has given them this land, but they're not in charge. And so they're asking, when do we get to be in charge? And, and when do we get to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong? And even if necessary, take our determination and impose that on other people. This today would be called a nationalistic thought. And when, as soon as you say that word, people run one way or the other, right? 
a polarizing word, but that's what this is. And the reason is, is because that is what the disciples knew. That's what their world showed them. There's this really cool map. Now that we have a screen, we're using it a bit. So this map shows the Roman Empire. The, the darker green is in 117. The lighter green is 14. And the orange is 40 years before Jesus. All coming out of Rome. Okay? So just out of this, this little city, out of this little city, all of that becomes one empire. All of it is one empire where there was an understanding of peace. It was called Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome, which means if you act Roman, there's peace for you. You don't have to worry about someone coming in and conquering you, someone coming in and fighting you, someone coming in and stealing from you. As long as you act Roman, which means you, you, you nod to the emperor, you, you pay your taxes, you follow the rules. If they're different than your culture's rules, then your culture bends because you're now Roman. And this is how, this is how civilization was understood. Before Rome, there were other people, right? And we just switch. I mean, you, you come to my house. I've got a whole, a whole shelf on my bookshelves of different empires that have established themselves and how they did it. And it's always like this. A little city-state gets some power, spreads their power, and all of a sudden imposes their desires on others to form an empire. And the disciples, when they think of the good news, which the good news is a political term, right? The good news is political. It's, it's what Caesar would say. Here's the good news. You are now Roman. You don't have to worry. Just act Roman. So when they said the good news of Jesus, automatically the disciples would say, oh, okay. So we're talking now about the kingdom of Israel. Which in their mind, the kingdom of Israel would be, okay, here in Jerusalem, we've got a new empire forming. And in Jerusalem, we get to decide for ourselves. And anyone is welcome to come, but they have to act like us and agree with us. And eventually, the kingdom of Israel becomes maybe, I don't know, another color. And, and kind of imposes a different law, a more generous, a, a more a, according to the Old Testament, one that, that Jews would be okay with. And even at this time, there was an understanding that Gentiles can join if they will act according to Jewish law. And so the disciples, after walking next to Jesus for all this time, come with this nationalistic question. Is it now time where you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Because that's what they knew. But here's the thing. It is not what they saw. It's what they knew and what they lived in. But it's not what they saw in Jesus. I want to invite you, if you've got some time this week, go through the Gospels and look at the times when Jesus is encountering different people. Particularly, look at the time when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Samaria would be in this if we're looking at this as like 
empire building, it would be another ring to the nation of Israel, right? To the kingdom of Israel. It's a, this is not a great term, but they were often thought of and called half-breed people. When people went into uh, captivity, the Samaritans stayed and intermarried with other locals, and they were sort of Jewish, but not Jewish enough. They didn't live in Jerusalem. There was some challenges to their ethnicity, to how good they were, to how they behaved, to how they worshiped. And when Jesus came and encountered them, and I, I want to encourage you, look at this yourself and, and wrestle with God yourself on this, but you could see that she expected Jesus to come and shame the way that she worshiped. He said, no, later it's not going to matter if you're worshiping on this mountain or that mountain. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. She expected to receive some shame and belittling as just people group. Jews don't come to Samaritans and ask for water. Men don't come to women and ask for water, and yet Jesus does and sees her equally. Yet Jesus speaks really clearly to her life where there's real pain, where there's real oppression. Where she's been married time and again, and now she's with someone who is not her husband. And this is not, this has often been interpreted as a, a woman who, who is just like pursuing lusts all over. No, this is probably someone who couldn't carry a child. And so because she couldn't have a baby, that was legal grounds to divorce. So one man divorces her, another one tries to have a child, can't have a child. He divorces her, slowly she becomes what she feels like and what culture tells her fairly lacking worth and value and just finds protection wherever she can which is finally in the home of someone who won't even marry her. This is someone who's lacking everything. And Jesus comes and says, I want to give you water where you'll never thirst again. You see, when the disciples came with this understanding of the kingdom of Israel, they imagined it is going to be Jerusalem as the center, and then maybe we'll spread out if everyone will act enough like us. And Jesus came saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Samaria, and I'm going to say, from here, you will never thirst again. If you come to Jerusalem, that's great. But wherever you are, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you never have to thirst again. You hear how that's different? You hear how that's radically different? Now, th this, this verse is often uh, like the one last week. It's paired with the Great Commission. This is where we get, like, super excitement about mission. And if you are excited about mission, that is fantastic. This fits next to where we were last week when we said, as you go just throughout your day. Make disciples. As you go, if you go to Iroquois Park with me, we will meet the nations at Iroquois Park. It's one of my favorite things about being there. You play at that playground, you're hearing eight different languages, guaranteed. You're meeting people who have different ethnicities and cultures and all this kind of stuff in our backyard, which well, almost literally my front yard, but in, in like right here, right? But sometimes we do go, but this fits with 
those who are called to just remain in Jesus and others like Peter, that as you, you follow me, go exactly to the place that you are called. All of that is the same kingdom. People remaining in their life, us going throughout our day making disciples, and some of us with a specific call, like, like our new friends who are feeling this deep call to Malawi and, and what God even wants to do there. We don't know everything yet. We just know that there's this sense of you, you follow me to Malawi. And in this room, we've had seasons and lifetimes of calls like that to people groups, to nation states, to local neighborhoods, and to remaining in all of that. But as you go, what is it that you are doing? And particularly, if the nationalism doesn't belong in the first part of the question, it also doesn't belong in what we are doing. Does that make sense? If it, if it doesn't belong in how we spread, it also doesn't belong in the actual physical thing that we are doing. So what are we doing? Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. Now what is this power? The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know if you've ever sat and thought about this, but next time you pour a cup of coffee, think about the fact that when Jesus died, he stayed dead for a couple of days. And he didn't muster up his strength to come out of the grave. Jesus was dead. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That is a lot of power, and we're told really clearly in Scripture that the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit now live within you and now live within me and are the fuel that is behind the church. Okay, we, we might lack some stuff, but it's not power and authority. And that's why we wait. We wait so that we're guided by that power, that we're guided by the Holy Spirit. We wait because on our own, we will do our best but our best will maybe aspire to something like the disciples. Maybe at our best, we'll sort of love people half-brokenly. At our best. At our best, we're, we're, just, we're, we're just trying to figure stuff out. At our best, we're going to sound nationalistic, or we're going to sound very arrogant. If it's just on us, we're going to make people like us, and we're going to make people act like us. Both of those things. We're going to just plead for them to finally like us. Because if you're like me, you're still somewhat broken and afraid the whole world doesn't like you. And you want them to like you so bad. And then at the same time, we're going to impose our understanding of things on them. And they won't count until they act like us. But if we wait in the power of the Holy Spirit... That is not to make them like us more powerfully. But Jesus says exactly what we're to do. We are to be Jesus' witnesses. What's that look like? That, that looks like what we just sang in three songs. We're to be witnesses to Jesus' story. To the story of who Jesus was and is and will be. We're to know what that looks like in Scripture, but also know what that looks like where we live and where we are. 
Willie James Jennings, who I quoted earlier, said that we're to become master storytellers and know the story of Jesus. To know that the good news of Jesus looks very different at Iroquois Park than it does at Cherokee Park. Just because people are different. And the good news is so big and powerful and broad that when someone is lonely, the good news is that Jesus is with you. But when someone is hungry, the good news is that God is the one who provides manna, right? Or when you're thirsty, that Jesus is the living water. And that comes with a bottle of water as well. That kind of thing. We get to know that and become people who really mine our lives to become master storytellers, to be witnesses to Jesus' story, but also witnesses to the divine presence of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And oftentimes, like Nathan said, we can't recognize God today. I mean, hopefully we can, but it's a lot of times that today is cloudy. But yesterday, if we look long enough, we can see who God has been. If we look back, we can see where God has been with us. And part of our task is to be a witness to that. And know what it's like to be anxious to the level that you like don't want to breathe anymore. And so when I meet somebody who is there, I don't have a cheap fix for them, but I can say, hey, you know what? I have felt something similar. And I can pray for you, and I know that I know that I know that God is with you like God was with me. And we can tell stories as a witness to God's presence in our life, to the Holy Spirit working in our life, to this attachment that we've talked about where we're remaining in God and nothing can actually separate us and the confidence that forms when we know that we're attached to Jesus. So this nationalistic spread that they imagined would be the best that they could imagine. I'm not even trying to pick on them. That's just the best that they could imagine life to be. The best they could imagine is we, Jerusalem will reform the world. Well, that was the model of Rome, and that's the way to build an empire. And within the church, this is still part of it, right? This is still what a lot of times we're trying to do, even in low, little little forms. Our form of the church is the best one, so we need 75 of our form. It's, it's the same thing that we're doing. And then when we get enough power and authority, we take it a little bigger than that, and we're going to take over not just the church, but other things. But the kingdom of God is something different. The kingdom of God is something where every nation remains distinct. And in the end, every nation bows. Tongues remain. Everyone doesn't have to learn English so that they can find Jesus. Different nationalities and tongues and languages remain, and every tongue confesses. And in this beautifully eclectic way of all of God's people from all of God's places, praising the name of God, that is the kingdom of God. That is the witness to the gospel. That is the Holy Spirit's work within us. And so next week, Rob's going to be talking about God's timing, right? <laughs> and next week is actually Pentecost, where we celebrate that the Holy Spirit arrived at, the, at that Pentecost in, in Acts. And so this week, chew on what that means so that we can come celebrating that. 
so we can come expecting and knowing that the Holy Spirit lives within us. But for this week, I have a question for you. And the question is this. If when we encounter the risen Jesus, he, he confronts our nationalistic dreams, our smaller imaginations, the ways that we limit because our creativity isn't on match with God's yet, what might we need to let go of to inherit the Holy Spirit? What might you need to let go of? What might we collectively need to let go of? Are some of those things political, moral? Are some of those a re, reordering of our values? Eliminating the othering? Or reimagining, forgiving. Let me state it one more time. If when we encounter the risen Jesus, he confronts our nationalistic dreams and our smaller imaginations, what might we need to let go of to inherit the Holy Spirit? If you want to casually talk about that over hot dogs, we can at the park. If you want to process that, I'm, I'm here this week. There's leadership team is here this week, but let, this is our work for this week. Where is it that we've let the kingdom of God play small? And God might want to invite us to imagine something more. We're going to end by receiving communion. If you don't have a delicious little cup, uh, Mr. Wayne is going to bring some, I think. <laughs>